0: Hi, my name is Chris McAllister. I'm the founder of SightShift, and welcome to The Slapcast.
1: Hey, welcome to The Slapcast. This is Shannon Lee. I'm so glad you guys are here. The Slapcast is a program of relay. It's all about leaders from various industries, backgrounds, Uh, We're all just committed to living out the values of servant leadership, but without taking ourselves too seriously. Now, you might be asking why SLAP? Well, SLAP is basically an acronym for our values, which is service, love, action, and passion. It's everything that we do, and we want to make sure we align with those values, and yeah, that's how the name emerged. Now, on previous episode, I broke that down even further, so you'll have to go back to episode two and take a listen to learn more about the slap in Slapcast. But for now, service, love, action, passion. Now, if you want to connect with us daily, you can do so on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All those handles are the same. They are at Relay Leadership. That's R-E-L-A Leadership. I encourage you to share the podcast if you hear something you like. If you don't hear something you like, then kindly hush. However, if you need to reach out to us directly, please feel free to do so. And You can do that at info at RelayLeadership.org. Again, that's info at R-E-L-A, Leadership.org. Okay, so today on the show, as we said earlier, we have Chris McAllister, founder of SightShift. Actually, Chris, you told me that you prefer to be called the Master Waffle Maker. I don't know if you remember that or not. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do now. <laughs> <laughs> you told me that yourself. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, as I said, founder of SightShift. Um, this is a leadership accelerator based here in Columbus, but you're all over the place, right? You you go all over the country,
0: correct? Yeah, all over the place emotionally, all over the place <laughs> physically. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and you've also authored really a book in a... Um, it's not a mastermind, but figure that shift out. So it's both a book and what's the piece I'm not articulating correctly. It's a book and a um, like a, a training program almost.
0: Yeah. So for us, that book was where we took one of the programs that's kind of the core program to help a leader figure out who they are and how to get to the edge of their abilities and stay there. So what helps a lot of leaders accelerate is when they've got this edge, they've got a chip on their shoulder, they need to prove something. That will only get them so far. You know, it'll get them here. It won't get them there. So what's it look like for them to figure that out internally and then get past that to sustain the best of who they are continually?
1: Yeah. And I don't mind sharing with everybody that I'm actually working with you in this program right now. And I'm only a few weeks in, but so far it's mind blowing. It's really changing me as a leader. It's causing me to think about things differently. I thought I was a pretty intentional leader, too. And so this is just helping me. Mm. Um, think about things in a different way, even more, which I love mm. i'm like super committed to personal and professional improvement, which is kind of like what I do at relay, so it makes a lot of sense yeah um, so anyway, we're excited to have you here. Um, I met you I think it was about um, a year ago i'd had different meetings with different people who actually don't know each other mm. and in those meetings, somehow they said, Hey, have you ever heard of this guy, Chris McAllister? He's got this thing called Figure That Shift Out. And I'm like, by the time the fourth person mm-hmm. mentioned your name, I'm like, I've got to meet this guy. Okay. And so I can't remember. Did I run into you or get introduced to you at Roosevelt, maybe?
0: I think that was where we first met, yeah.
1: Okay. So we were at Roosevelt and I can't remember if it was um oh, was it was it was it with the pastor?
0: Uh was it Rich? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he was one of them. I think Mike Klaus is a friend. Yeah. A okay. friend. He had said that he had mentioned it. Yeah. And there was one other name, but yeah.
1: The audience is like, who are these people? Yeah. Don't worry about that. Maybe we'll have Mom the Slapcast at yeah, some point. Go. So <laughs> anyway, that's how we met. I just, it's one of those things where it kind of repeats in your life. Mm-hmm. You're thinking, maybe I should meet this person. And so we ended up getting together, had a great conversation. I loved the way, what, what really captured my attention in our first meeting was not just, um, what you say about leadership, about process, about making shifts in our thinking, which I'm am a big fan of, the outside doesn't change until the inside changes. Mm. Now, I do think there are things we can do on the outside to work on that kind of stuff at the same time. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, we want things to just flow out of who we already are. Mm-hmm. And if we aren't, if that's not happening, maybe there's something that we need to fundamentally change. And yeah. so I loved what you said about that. But I think what captured my attention more than anything was a little bit about your story and how you got there. And we're gonna to get to that in a second. Now, this lab cast, and I talked about this in the previous episodes, really the purpose behind this and and how we even came up with the name. So You're going to have to listen to the other previous episodes if you want to learn about that, all these listeners that uh, if you're tuning in, I want you to go back and listen to that so you can understand where that comes from. But the Slapcast is going to be about elevating people who are living out servant leadership. doesn't mean that they're doing it perfectly all Mm -hmm. the time, but they're living out servant leadership in their uh, communities, in their work, in their families, even if they don't call it servant leadership, right? So I think a lot of what you do, Chris is really has its foundation in servant leadership. I know that you don't necessarily talk about what you do with that terminology, Mm -hmm. but that's why you're here. So keeping that in mind, and before we get to our topic, which our topic, by the way, is like, how is leadership love? Oh, oh, Mm -hmm. yes, we're going to get to all that mushy gushy (laughs) stuff. Um, But keeping in mind this idea of servant leadership, What are two to three principles or maybe best practices that guide you in your leadership journey? And after that, we're going to kind of go into your history.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, everything starts and revolves around this idea. And it's all I can think about all the time is the way that our doing comes out of our being. Like There's no other way that you can shrink the most core essence of life, to me and the way I process it, down to a tighter understanding other than there's who I am and then there's the roles I fulfill in those relationships that are connected to those roles. So for me, it's it's learning this idea that my identity is never on the line. So in our work, when people get that and they click into it and we see that light bulb go off and it's like, oh my gosh, I've been doing everything that I'm doing like for something I can get out of it because I need in some way to be bolstered, to be validated, to be affirmed by this thing. And so it was huge. I was uh, at at Chick-fil-A when my now 14-year-old daughter was three years old.
1: Where all good things
0: happen. Yes, indeed. I had a job there (laughs) and years later I still would eat there. So that's crazy.
1: Except for the pickles. I'm sorry. I'm not a fan of pickles.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm sitting there with my daughter trying to overpay for this Chick-fil-A for all the nuggets I stole when I worked there as a (laughs) high school student, never could get enough. But uh, I would hand them out in the mall. I'd be like, one for you, one for me. I totally would eat like half the tray.
1: Well, you're so nice. I'm a one for you, two for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I like (laughs) it. So, uh, but I'm I'm at Chick-fil-A with her and I remember having this thought, like I became aware of what was running around in my brain because I'm sitting there with her and, and I'm about to formulate some question or some sentence that's going to get her to affirm me because I'm like, and I wouldn't have said it this direct, but hey, don't you have a great dad? He took off time from work to bring you to lunch for your birthday. And, and again, when that awareness hit me, like lightning struck my brain. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm making this moment not about her, but about me. And it was like the equivalent of saying, hey, little three-year-old, can you handle the existential needs of a grown adult, which is <laughs> so much of what breaks down in institutions, parents, marriage, corporations, whatever. So uh, it was just huge. And I'm like, oh, this isn't about me. And, and what we don't understand when we say it's not about me, what, what that does for a lot of people is it moves them past them getting what they need to be whole. So it justifies this false suppression of their need. So they're showing up and and becoming a martyr. And and when your identity isn't on the line, and that's just this first principle that's so huge for me, I'm not showing up to be a martyr because I'm learning how to get what I need apart from the roles I feel, fulfill, apart from the relationships, apart from the mission, apart from the community, apart from the business. When I can show up that way, then I get to be there, give the fullness of who I am. And that fullness can't happen unless I get that apart from this exchange. So for me, it comes back to over and over, and i this uh, concept of identity, which you and I are talking about now. And and I would say that by and large, I see it skipped over all the time.
1: And if I would tie that to servant leadership, how I would kind of convey that would be that in order to servant lead, we have to have a secure identity. Bam. Because otherwise that's how we show up to people who work for us, who work around us. We show up in ways that we're actually needing them to validate us. And whenever we're doing that, we're coming from, I know for me, it might be like a place of fear. Yeah. Right. And so, what I've learned, even though I'm not, I'm getting better at it, if I'm coming at something from a place of fear, I'm showing up to you in ways that are not serving you. Mm-hmm. As you said, I'm really serving myself. I'm mm-hmm. trying to either avoid pain, mm-hmm. avoid a conflict or whatever, which is all about making sure I still feel comfortable, mm. which is really pretty selfish. That's not servant leadership. Mm-hmm. The only way I can get out of that is to have the secure identity. Yeah. Now, I know that you didn't come by this revelation through rainbows and butterflies. Yeah, I don't, You're kind of like me. I learned through, I think life's best teacher, which is good old fashioned pain. Mm. So let's downshift as you say, and let's kind of go back a little bit and and tell us kind of how all this happened for you, and and then bring us back up to to speed to current day.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it started a little bit with like that that lunch meal, and it started with custom building our second dream home, uh, real assets that that made me wealthy in a real estate development. And, and being in our second dream home and going, this isn't enough. Like I thought I would work so hard and this would feel amazing, but this doesn't feel as amazing as I thought. I wish I would have woke up fully. Like this is really what's going on, Chris. This is how there's, there's a dysfunctional way you're approaching your life and what you do and your relationships, but it took the loss. So, you know, we came out of this, the real estate crisis that hit a lot of people and definitely hit us hard had an organization that I was leading to help turn around that I'd done that before, but it wasn't working this time. So we're in in a spot where my marriage is starting to feel like something's here and I need to figure this out. Um, I remember I heard a psychologist talk about Uh, just healthy relationships. And I'm like, he's got something for me. So I asked if he would do like phone call appointments because he was in Austin, Texas where I heard him speak. And so uh, he did. And I was telling him about this very thing about, I feel like, you know, half the time I show up to the cause that I'm leading, not for what I can get, but what I can give. I feel like in my marriage, I'm showing up like 20% of the time. And as a parent, you know, maybe 80% of the time, he was like, that's what servant leadership is. (laughs) When you show up and you're not needing to get from it. And uh, so I'm like, well, then I have a long way to go. Still not fully waking up. But it was in the loss, the financial loss, where we were now renting a house and we're facing eviction. Um, my wife sold her engagement ring so the kids could have, or her engagement ring so the kids could have Christmas. And, and just these compounding, insane experiences of severe, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm two weeks from being in a place that I'm pushing our belongings around in a cart. And I would have judged that person previously. And I'm, and I don't like admitting that, but then I'm like, oh my gosh, that could be me. So it was in all that turmoil that for me, I was able to go, do I feel better about myself if I'm successful? Do I feel worse about myself if I'm not successful? What if how I know me has nothing to do with the circumstances, whether there's success or not success happening around me? And that allowed me to really unblock my best, you know, resilient self to be then creative, innovative, to turn things around. But I had to go through it, the hard time to see it.
1: Now, you told me a story once. It's, and I don't think I told you I was going to ask you this, but your dad fired you one time. Like, how did that happen? What did you do?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I. Uh,
1: and you can always say, I'm going to take the fifth on this one if you yeah.
0: like. <laughs> no, the, the police reports are sealed, so I can only say so much. But uh, no, um, I don't think I've ever shared this on a podcast, so props to the Slapcast for for getting (laughs) the dish, the scoop. Um, So we were, this, I had kind of concurrent paths in my life at that time, business and then helping him lead in nonprofit church. And it was a big church and had all kinds of influence. And the goal was that I would take over and be the leader. And I was there a few years and started to go, hmm. I'm, I don't like who I'm becoming. I can see future Chris, and I don't want to be that. Um, I think I got caught up in this narrative to come in here and be a hero, and this is not the story I'm supposed to be living. And those dots started connecting, and it was like a tumbling awareness. Uh, a lot of things came very, very clear to my mind that I was just totally missing and I remember sitting on the porch of his house, you know, gosh, this is like over a decade ago now saying, you know, I'm not supposed to be the guy I got to move on. I need about a year though. Just give me some time. And then, you know, a couple months later, it was, you got to take a pay cut or go and significant pay cuts. So it's like, all right, we got to go. And, uh, you know, now our relationship, I think it took about 10 years to get to the point where I can look at all that transpired with our relationship and go, I would choose all that because it made me me. And and I would choose him as my dad. But there were many years of some deep hard work to be able to say that.
1: Yeah. uh, You know, that makes me think of people have asked me before, casually, professionally, do you have any regrets? It's hard to answer that question because I really don't. Yeah. Even though I can't say that everything I did was my best choice or whatever in the time. Mm -hmm. But all of those choices good, bad, or indifferent, are a part of me, mm. of who I am today. So to regret it is almost to like it's almost like a level of self hatred. Yeah. And to hate myself, even a part of myself, I don't think is very healthy. And so it's hard for me to say I have any don't I can't really say I have any regrets. You know? Yeah. Like I plan to I think I told you this, like At the end of my life, I want to be sliding into home plate, running as fast as I can, to have gotten as much out of life, as much enjoyment out of life. And I don't mean that in a reckless sense, like just to go crazy and hurt people. But to really be able to look back and say, man, I lived my best life from a place of a secure identity. The other thing I wanted to mention was, you know, you and I have talked a lot about this shared um, church experience. And this is not about like blaming church, right? Mm -hmm. What do you think it is that especially in, maybe it's churches, but I think it happens to professionals everywhere, where we wake up one day and we go, how did I get here? Right? We start connecting the dots of, I'm doing this thing. I'm not even passionate about it. Mm. I don't like who I'm becoming. Mm. And for many people... Especially, I don't want to throw them into a, a, a one big generalized bucket, but for especially for older generations, it's harder for them to pull themselves out of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like my grandpa, he went to college, got a job at IBM, and he died working for IBM. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's what that generation did, right? I think there's more and more people who are kind of stuck in a place professionally, working at a church, working at a nonprofit, a stay at home mom that doesn't want to be a stay at home mom, whatever you're places mm-hmm. that are like, uh, what am I doing here? And they don't have the courage to make a change. How do we get there? And what's a couple of things you could say that could kind of like jolt us into reality and maybe break us out of that?
0: Yeah. And it'll all tie into what you were saying about sliding into home plate and not having regrets. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, for me, some of the hardest decisions are leaving things that are safe and comfortable, but a little off whether it was a business that I left or a, a nonprofit or whatever. And so, you know, you talk about sliding into home, you want full expression. That's what it is. It's not about being reckless, like you said. It's, it's we want full expression. Are we blocked up or is there is there an unblocked flow out of who we are into what we do in the relationships we're building? And so when that thing feels a little off, you know, that's a clue and a signal. And it's a clue and a signal to wake you up that you either have to form a new relationship to this job, a new relationship to this role, or that role or that job has to change. And what what maybe previous generations could do is, is force that and push through that in a way that was that was inauthentic, but also they didn't have as much opportunity. Now we have all this opportunity. That's true. We have all of these amazing, I mean, the technology of what we're doing right now, right. Uh, To, to get this message and share it with lots of people. So the principles would just be this one, you have to embrace that discomfort. So like you were talking about, you don't hate the circumstances um, that you came through, but also you don't have to love them. Like embracing the discomfort means like what bothers me? I'm really going to be aware of that. I'm going to accept that. You know, there's a developmental phase you go through. Nietzsche talked about this as a philosopher when you hit the lion phase and you're like, oh, I'm angry about this. You know, what is that there? It doesn't mean I have to be dominated by that anger and act out on it, but I'm not going to deny it either. I'm going to be aware and learning. So paying attention to this fact that I am not going to stuff this down or tolerate or avoid something I know is a little off. Now, if I'm going to not push it down, then I'm going to second accept it. I'm going to like, this is the reality. This is where I'm at. And I'm going to have an antenna up for things I'm going to read, conversations I'm going to have, insights that are going to hit me, a song I'm going to be listening to, a movie I'm going to be watching, where it's going to be like cascading dominoes, like these little insights lead to little insights, lead to little insights. And then, and this is where a lot of people just don't know how to deconstruct their own narrative. You have this big breakthrough, but it came through, number one, accepting it, number two, like really leaning into what this this thing that you want to change, this motivation that isn't there and going, okay, where can I find some insight on this? It's like, that's the curiosity. That's the hunger that you know, you're not living out of when you're numbing out. and And so if you don't have that hunger, right, then something is satiating you in a false way to keep you from being hungry. And I'm not weighing in on any kind of choices people make or addictions or anything. It's just the things that we do to distract ourselves. It's, it's insane to me how uh, much we have a life that's engineered our complete destruction of our curiosity and our hunger. So no, that feelings there, dive into that, pay attention to that, and stay hungry. And the third one is this, take that next vulnerable step. It's gonna lead you to, it doesn't have to be a giant step. It's going to be a step of some sort that is not going to feel like you know exactly how this is going to go, but that's where you're going to find freedom.
1: That's awesome. And that's actually a great segue. We didn't plan this, which is amazing. (laughs) Um, It's a great segue for this theme around how leadership is love. And a couple weeks ago, I shared, not that it was exhaustive, but I shared four ways that I think that leadership exemplifies love. Mm. And of course, we're not talking about romantic love here. Um, I mean, romantic love professionally could probably get you in the HR department. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying, just a little fair warning for folks out there. But um, we're not talking about romantic love. We're really talking about um, the correlations between love and leadership. And, you know, I wanted to ask you what you think gets in the way of this. You know, kids can be loving. In fact, when I think about my kids when they were young, they just showed up that way automatically. Mm. Right they trusted, they mm-hmm. loved arms open, the world is my you know is my playground. what happens What happens between then and now when we're adults, adults that we're more withdrawn?
0: yeah, if you have a safe, loving, stable childhood, you are going to show up without proving or hiding. I mean that's the idea. you have nothing to prove you have nothing to hide. It's just like you said, this open armed you know acceptance of this moment and engagement and i 'm going to ask for what i need i 'm not going to be afraid to do that at the same time i 'm going to allow myself to be driven by my curiosities and my interests you know all these kind of things that we 're kind of hitting on now uh, and and it's the ability to retain childlikeness but lose the childishness and mm-hmm. for most people they 're doing the exact opposite of that. The more immature they become the more self sabotage it's because it's the the you know, childishness, but they lose the ability to embrace with wonder and awe. I mean, I can say this like definitively, if you have a role in your life that you're not appreciating and welcoming with wonder and awe, whatever that role is, then there's something that's blocking up your ability to do that. And the role may need to change or your relationship to the role may need to change, but that's where you want to be. Now it's normal to lose it. So right now people could hear that and feel some kind of like, well, I suck. What's wrong with me? You know, but like, I remember feeling, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I remember feeling a sense uh, a couple of years ago, sitting at the dinner table where I didn't feel a sense of all being in the role of dad. And there was nothing I could do that would just automatically change that. I just noticed it. And it's everything that goes back to what we were saying earlier, these three, these three steps we could take, but I just notice it. I lean into it. I study it. I'm curious about it. And I happened to be at a cafe that's local in the area. And, uh, you know, the guy was asking about the weekend or I I asked him about the weekend. He said, it was amazing. I saw my daughter play in the snow the first time. And I was like, oh, that makes me think of the best advice I've heard being a parent. You never know the last time your kids are going to ask for something. So I don't remember the last time my kids asked me to comb their hair or, you know, read them a book or whatever. I started crying over that, like in the cafe. And I realized, oh, the sense of awe that I don't feel being a dad right now that's because I'm not a dad of kids anymore. I'm a dad of teenagers. Mm-hmm. So so I had to rediscover that awe in a new way. You can't prop up these old motivations. And what's happening for a lot of people is if they're not looking at their reality and being honest and going, am I happy with this? Am I fully expressed in this? If I'm not, let me, to use an old Southern phrase, hunt this dog down. <laughs> let me figure this out, what's happening here. Because it can be different but it's going to require some kind of awareness increase and then a step to take
1: yeah so along those lines is there a time that you think that love can feel or be unloving mm. kind of break that down
0: yeah you know any time and it's it starts personal and then it goes to the communal any time that uh, you're buying into a message that keeps you stuck, not aware and learning, then you're probably not understanding first and foremost, how to love yourself well. And loving yourself well is to challenge yourself in a way that gets you to step out and let go of what got you here. Uh, So then that's going to translate to community to go, all right, well, if I'm going to do that, then I need to ask the people around me to do that. Uh, And the most significant relationships I have, some of the most personal stories I can share were about being in a moment with somebody relationally and there being a stone there that you know needs to turn over and having the courage to find the right tone and timing, but to turn that stone over and go, you know what? I mean, this could be a professional relationship even because if you, there's one of the books I talk about your relationship with people at work and this guy was like, you use the word love a lot there for that. I was like, I know because there's something there if we can love the people with, but if you can't turn that stone over, you're not really loving them. You're allowing something to grow and fester, right, that is going to long-term hurt them And hurt the connection you have with them. Now, people listening to this on one extreme of the spectrum are going to be like, yeah, that's right. I need to read those books. I need to point those things out. I need to help everybody become better. And if you have that kind of uh, intense energy about it, then there's probably some more you need to do first (laughs) so that you can discover how to show up in a way that's helpful, not pressuring. still about you. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. And when I think about this idea of love, feeling unloving, it's... It's this idea of, well, kind of, the. I guess where I was going with that was thinking of leadership and people that work for you, Mm -hmm. for example. I am to the point where people that work around me, because we don't have some huge staff, Mm -hmm. volunteers, that even if I don't like everybody, I feel a responsibility to love them, Mm -hmm. meaning I find a way to act loving towards them not for my benefit but because it's the way I honor myself in showing up in the world and I honor them as a human being by showing up that way to them and I find that when I start with that mindset that I actually do love them I actually start to feel a sense of love towards them when I make that choice mm-hmm. initially to see the humanity for example in a person rather than a label mm-hmm. I once heard someone say that um we categorize people to cancel them. Mm. So if I can just say, oh, well, you know that person's a X, an X, just just fill in a label, then it's almost like I'm communicating that we have some kind of shared understanding of what that means, mm-hmm. whether it's a religion or a nationality or a race or a gender or whatever. And really what I'm saying is something that I think about this people group or this person or whatever applies to all of them. Therefore, I can treat them as less than. Yeah and i think that in many ways in loving some people that can feel unloving because we're we're like creating these categories of um favorites if you will mm-hmm. and um i found that instead by choosing that regardless of of someone's personality right that the principle of love is more important than the personality on the other side of me mm-hmm. and that i choose that for not just for my benefit, but for the benefit of the world, the benefit of my community, the benefit of my work and when I make the choice from that standpoint, I actually do find that I love this person, mm-hmm. even if i don 't feel it in the beginning, if that makes sense it's like it's like a one two punch almost yeah. and um, but also, I come from a belief that that can occur
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and i 'm not doing it because I want anything from them i 'm doing it because I think it's a good way to show up. Um, but here's the thing. I've talked about love before with leadership in my work at Relay. And a lot of people, when they hear that, they're like, yeah, whatever. That's mamby-pamby, fluffy. Oh. You know, leadership is, is much harder than that, right? And I think it's because they're thinking of love as this soft, easy, um, non-challenging thing But if you really think about what it takes to love someone who you don't like, Mm -hmm. that is the harder path. So I guess what I want to ask now is, can altruism alone achieve these greater results? Because I really believe that servant leadership, caring leadership, acting out of love versus fear, which a lot of traditional leadership operates from fear, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I believe it achieves greater results. Yeah. Yeah. Does it alone achieve greater results? I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. I mean, wisdom is always lived out in the tensions. So it's going to be these two opposite ideas. And you stand, to use an F. Scott Fitzgerald quote, we're not going to one side, we're picking, we're not standing in the middle in a balanced way. We're actually standing in these polar opposites and the electricity they create. So it's as deep as, you know, um, e- even how you think about like your your marriage, I love this person and I want them to feel love for me, but I also need to have a separate identity from them. So, so the electricity of that, right? Um, you could even have it as simple as how do you lead your business? Somebody could buy a business book that says, I need to lead by shutting the door and doing my strategy. I need to lead by managing by walking around. And that phrase was really popular, yeah. right? <laughs> well, which one is it? And, and you get like crazy. I got to do, no, you do both and you stand in the electricity they create. And that is the key here with, with understanding love these two polar opposite ideas. I want to be the most aware, strategically influential person in the room. And I want to be a good human with solid motives to understand that, yes, I have a vision, but ultimately the vision is the people and helping them grow. So what's it look like to bring together being a good human and being strategically influential? So what happens is you have a lot of leadership that's on this extreme strategically influential that's just like, hey, let's be as cunning as we need to be to achieve the results, to get to the outcome, to whatever it is. And then there are other people going, no, 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 no. We need to be good. We need to be good humans. We just need to let people pick. We need to put, you know, no, we're doing both. We're doing both. And we live in the tension of both of these. And so the way you can think about it is I'm not going to shy away from growing my influence and leading as much as I can. I'm going to do it with the motive of for their good, for their benefit. Yes, we need to make a profit. Yes, we need to move forward. Yes, we need to make hard choices. But in all of those things, and and that means letting some people go, making, demoting, whatever. But in all of those things, the best that we can, we are being a good human with that. I'm not going to shy away from being influential as I need to be.
1: I think that both and idea is one of the hardest things That I work to convey when through some of our training, Mm. because we've all been conditioned to think in black and white. Yeah. Right? It's either this or that. It's right or wrong. It's up or down. It's left or right. And I think in many ways, society, politics, you name it, polarizes us. Mm -hmm. And I think we maybe need to work harder at living in that tension and Mm. not, and living in that tension, but also not trying to rush. For uh, resolution, right? Getting used to that ambiguity. Now, before we go, what I want to mention is um, you're one of our speakers coming up at the May 16th Leadership Forum. I am? You are. Oh, cool. No, Uh, your assistant didn't (laughs) tell you that. Um, so the reason why I mention this is because when we talk about tension, it actually relates to the theme of the leadership form, which is leading through change. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think is a huge temptation for leaders and everyone else is to try to resolve, like we're in the midst of change. We want to resolve that change right away. So how do we resist that? How do we know when it's time to resist the urge to resolve? And how do we know when it's time to resolve? And I know it's probably more an art than a science, and it's probably a really difficult question, but, but just to kind of give them a foretaste of what we might hear you talk about a little bit. And I know yeah. that's not specifically your topic, but it's the bigger topic. Yeah. So in your world, how, how do you help leaders think about living in that tension and resisting the urge to resolve things too soon?
0: Yeah, it is, it is both actually science and art in this way. There are so many different uh, templates, models, paradigms on understanding change and the rhythms of that and what phase your team is in and all these kind of things. But the key is that you are able to answer two questions. You know, who are we as an organization, especially in the tension place, and then where are we? Are we in a moment where we need to, you know, dive into this tension and let go of a reality we're attached to and do a deep exploration and, and that is sitting in the discomfort. Or have we sat in this tension long enough? Have we dove in deep enough that we're ready now to take effective action? And, and what is that effective action we need to take? And so it goes back to kind of where we started. If there's something in you that fills off and something in the mission that fills off, something in you know the current strategic initiative that fills off, we want to pay attention to that and let that Go, Oh, I got something I need to pay attention to. I got to turn this rock over that we were talking about earlier, then I can go forward with whatever that next step is. And so for people listening to this, you know, there are some people, and we know this from like the big five personality profiles, the way that they do psychological testing. Now, there are some people that over you know, are attracted to exploring that tension, and they're going to actually create some unnecessary tension. And then there are some that are going to avoid it at all costs. So part of it's knowing your wiring. If you have a tendency to be like, let's shake this up, you know, when you're going (laughs) in the meeting and you're like, and that tends to be me, Like, I'm going to disrupt you to growth, then I need to be careful and aware that I'm not overdoing that. And if you have a tendency to avoid it, then you're missing some key moments Mm -hmm. to pay attention.
1: Well, before we go, because we're almost out of time, I want to bring it back to SightShift really quick here. So you're the founder of SightShift, as we said. How do you leverage your work in your company to serve the community, to serve, you know, just other people in general, the world? We'll, we'll go big, right? Yeah. We'll go global. Um, how do you see that fitting into the greater good?
0: Yeah. Well, I think right now we're at a crossroads in society where we're trying to make peace with this idea that we can't engineer a perfect world at a big scale. You know, you saw the 20th century where people tried to do that. Whether Henry Ford was, you know, trying to engineer the perfect workplace, how long can they work before they're so tired they make mistakes, which was where the 40-hour work week came from. He was trying to engineer towns, and I mean, this is crazy. And so then we saw this in like Russia and different places where socialism was huge. And, and, And then we've We've kind of gravitated, I've seen this energy gravitate back, especially with a lot of the people that we work with that are younger than me, where they're more open to ideas that can be for the common good, but have actually been proven to be very false and and harmful. So for me, my passion, mission, obsession is to help leaders become secure in who they are in this micro-apprenticeship model that we have to build lots of healthy micro-communities. The answer isn't on a big scale to say, how can we perfectly engineer a nation state that is flawless? That will lead to all kinds of trouble. Instead, it starts with where we are. You know, what does it look like for me where I am to become secure in who I am, to show up into my mission with clarity and build a healthy community out of that? That's the real thing. And so that's what we're obsessed with doing.
1: That's awesome. Chris, share with everybody how... Folks listening can connect with you, whether it be on social, email, or whatever. How how can people get a hold of you?
0: Yeah, probably the easiest way is siteshift.com, S-I-G-H-T-SHIFT.com. And uh, that's kind of like the hub for everything. And if people are listening to this and want to, uh, there's social channels there. I think all of mine are at Chris McAllister on Twitter and Instagram. I can't remember Facebook right now. But if people want to reach out, email is usually the best way. And um, we'll definitely serve them any way that we can and help them
1: out. Awesome, awesome. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks I so me. appreciate. It. It's been a great conversation. I know you and I could talk for for hours. I know. Um, listen, everyone, if you enjoyed what you heard, mark your calendars for May 16th. That's a Thursday. We're hosting leadership Forum right here in Columbus. Chris, as I said, is one of the speakers. You can learn more about that event. Get your tickets at slash F is in Frank 2019. Chris, thanks again so much for joining us on the slapcast. It's been fun.
0: Awesome. Thanks for having me.